welcome to Back Talk, the show where two feminist people talk about this week in pop culture. I'm Sarah Merck, the online editor at Bitch, and I'm here with... I'm Amy Lamb, the contributing editor. <laughs> Hi. Um, well, we're going to break our usual format for the show this week. Um, instead of talking about our favorite moments in pop culture and recommending one thing to read, watch, and hear, and talking about two pieces of news... We're just going to talk about the election and sort of sort through our our feelings and do some post-election triage. Amy, we're on day six of Trump being our president-elect, and it feels like it's been six months, doesn't it? It feels like time has stretched. Uh, <laughs> um, I don't know what it's like. Honestly, it just feels... It feels like it's been six months, but it also feels like it's been six years. You know what I mean? It's just, it feels like, I feel like the undercurrent of what Trump's presidency and his supporters um, want from this country has been brewing for so long um, that it is both at once like unsur- unsurprising and also shocking. Yeah, that's true. It's One thing I've been thinking about is that it's not like the country is more racist or more misogynistic or more Islamophobic than it was a week ago, you know, last Tuesday. We're just able to see it more clearly and feel it more clearly. And the people who who feel that way are validated by Trump's election. But his, you know, his election and the support for him has deep roots. Yeah, we had this uh, when we had this piece by um, writer Esty Smith that we published the day after the election about how Donald Trump isn't an outsider, you know, like the, like all of the reporting on him has been like, he's an outsider, but actually he's pretty central to American culture, to our history, to the, his representation of white supremacy and his representation of, you know, privilege and, and embrace of capitalism and entitlement is, is a core part of American society and history. So while he's never held any sort of political office and doesn't have any government experience and he's an outsider in that regard, he's not outside of our culture. He's at the center of it. And I think that the that the most like wild part of this is is that because he's so at the center of it and and the rhetoric that he used leading up to the election, um, you know, even though it was so blatantly so many wrong things, it actually wasn't a detriment to him. Um, it's actually like I think in some way it helped him with his base and like to actually drive more support to him. Like his misogyny it, it isn't a marker against him. Um, uh, his his racism isn't seen as racism. His Islamophobia isn't seen as Islamophobia like uh, through the lens of his supporters. So all of the things that I think that a lot of liberals thought were um, deficits were actually assets to him. And I think that from... From my perspective, it's like, like yes, I'm I'm definitely reeling from this this idea of a Trump presidency and like <clears throat> who he's going to staff his cabinet with and the types of legislations that he's going to pass or revoke. Um, but also, I think that one of the one of the most disheartening parts about all of this is is to know that like some fifty six million plus mm-hmm. people voted for him. And, and those those people would exist with or without a, a yeah. Trump presidency. And, you know, often I've reflected about, um, like, this is what, you know, we're, we're hearing so many reported, like, hate crimes or hate incidents. And this is what, what it looks like when their team wins. You know, for a lot of marginalized communities, a lot of us were talking about, like, like we better watch ourselves um, if yeah. he loses. 
because we can't imagine the type of um like fuckery that would have happened if like like violent outbursts from his supporters saying yeah right yeah but yeah i think that's what's so i think that's what's so disheartening about this is that like americans were really given a chance to reject racism and misogyny and islamophobia here and instead 56 million people voted for that you know voted for him and i guess it's just it's it's just it's really upsetting to see the country as clearly as it is and i guess the opti- i was such an optimist about being like oh you know what like we've we've come a long way we've made a lot of progress um there's no way that his kind of rhetoric is going to be supported um that's even going to be close but it's to me it's it's opening my eyes to see oh actually this is what a lot of americans support you know i mean he he lost the popular vote um by about two million votes so there's about two million more of us who (laughs) don't support trump who turned out to actually vote you know about half the country didn't vote um but the, the two million of us who voted against trump um there it, it doesn't i mean it's 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 helpful to know that there's more of us but really like not that many and still there's 56 million people who are supporting him so it just makes me feel um like the country is is much more is much worse off than i thought it was and i think for for me the the thing i've been thinking about the most the last over the last two weeks is who turned out to vote for trump that uh, a, ma- a majority of white men, so about 65% of white men voted for Trump. That's two-thirds of white men voted for Trump, but also a majority of white women. So 53% of white women turned out to vote for Trump. And the, what I've been thinking about is a lot is like, at first I was just like devastated and nihilistic. Wednesday was for nihilism. And just like, and just like what is the point of anything? But, you know, as as soon as... I thought Trump was was going to get elected as soon on Tuesday night as the as the chart was flipping and saying, "Oh, actually Trump might win." My reaction was, "I got to go home and I got to get to sleep because tomorrow morning I have to get up and go to work because we have a lot of work to do." You know, I don't have time to uh to give up. You know, I don't have time to give up on this. I've got to get to work. And I've been thinking a lot over the last like 6 days over what is the work that I can do to uh, change people's minds, to to figure out what makes white women and white men support someone like Trump, and how can how can I how can I help change their minds to get them to be more inclusive, more accepting, and and reject that kind of racism, and see that misogyny and Islamophobia and racism uh, is 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 bad for the country and they're supporting it i'm not sure how you change those minds i don't know what the answers are i'm still just in the process of asking that question and i think it's especially on people like me who are going to be the safest under trump's era people who are don't have to worry about our immigration status you know who don't have to worry about our families getting deported who are white who are relatively straight who are economically secure who i'll survive if my health care is taken away it's on us to uh, work hard and to defend the rights of the most vulnerable populations. It's on us to work hard to change the minds of the people who voted for Trump because those conversations aren't safe for everyone to have. And it's going to be safest for me to have those kind of conversations. So what does that work look like? (sighs) 
<laughs> that's what I've been thinking. <laughs> that's what I've been thinking about is like, what is the work that we need to do over the next two and four years? Well, yeah, I, I, so there are like two things that popped up I, that I thought of when you were speaking is like, I think the, the first piece for me is that um, I've been thinking a lot of like how my white friends are dealing with this. And um, I think that for a lot of my white friends, they're, they're really devastated. Like they're like so shocked. And, and I was thinking a lot about their shock because uh, I feel like for a lot of people of color or folks from marginalized communities, like, um, but in particular for people of color, like we, like we're unsurprised um, by like the depths of the consequences of white supremacy. And like, and I, and I think of it as like white shock or like uh, white astonishment of, of this, the results of this election and, and how it's actually an, an outgrowth of white supremacy because like even within liberal circles, like uh, we call out a lot of like well-meaning white liberal people who um, reinforce like white supremacist, white supremacist ideas like in a really subtle way. So like, I would really encourage like folks to think about like why they are so surprised you know, like this notion that like, like our country couldn't do this, but, but for a lot of people, it's like, yes, yes, our country can do this. And our country has done this for so long. Um, and what does like, what does real liberation look like? Um, I mean, those are like really hard questions to ask oneself, you know, like, cause I think that like to hear my white friends being so shocked and surprised, I'm, you know, there, there is like a huge part of me that thinks, you know, like, uh, you mean, you, you're talking about like, what work, what work can I do? What work, what work? Can I um, act, like solution based um, things that I can do? And, and for me personally, I don't I really don't have the energy for any of that right now. Like like I'm just trying to like make it uh, to the next day. I mean, it's it, it sounds really dire, but it's really a thing about like like uh, for myself in particular, like uh, I'm so tired of like having to fight for my own humanity or having to like having to justify my own existence that this notion of like work is, is, is out of my realm of like things that I want to do right now, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, and it's not even just work, but like even having hope, you know, I read somewhere that like hope is a radical act. And this notion that like hope, being hopeful is radical is, is like really pertinent to me right now because I don't even have the energy to be hopeful. When, when I feel so sad and like, full of so much despair, I actually have moments of thinking, because my parents are refugees, um, I have moments of thinking, like, just fucking send me back. Because, like, do I want to live somewhere where I have to justify my base existence? You know? Um, and I think that's something that, that for myself, I have to take into account. Like, why am I feeling this way? Why is this so heavy? But it's heavy in a way that, like, I don't want to do anything. Um, and, you know, like, there's a lot of talk about like white folks talking to other white folks and this notion of like we need to talk to like our our rural white um you know communities but it, it isn't just it isn't just stuck in like rural white communities and i think we have to look at like um what neoliberalism looks like for white people and that mm -hmm. like liberal white people are also um folks that need to work on themselves because like to be completely frank like we often talk about like white feminism like in our work, but I don't think that like white feminists in lowercase, uh, not the white feminists in uppercase, <laughs> but lowercase white feminists think that they are absolved from, um, like they are absolved from ben like being beneficiaries of white supremacy, and mm -hmm. 
and and often like I think for women of color like feminists of color like we are so tired of calling other people in or calling other people out that there comes a point where we're just done with it and I think that's where I am right now um it's and, and I know that like that's not the hopeful thing that like I want to like I want to share but this is really how I feel and I think that I I, I can't possibly be alone in feeling yeah. this way yeah no I think that's totally valid I think a lot of people are right there with you you know especially people who are going to be who know that their lives are going to be made worse and that they're going to be personally hurt by Trump's policies and Trump's rhetoric you know it's enough to make a lot of people I think just who who feel like oh like this the next four years are going to be harder than the last four years and the last four years were pretty dang hard and just wanting to um, focus on taking care of themselves and taking care of their loved ones and taking care of their friends and taking care of their communities and not necessarily um, reaching out to the people who voted for Trump. You know, there's been so much talk over the last couple of days of like, we need unity, like we need to reach out to Trump voters. And that's like been the message from the the leaders of the Democratic Party. And I think a lot of people right now, and maybe they will never will feel like reaching out and like extending a hand to the people who voted for Trump. And I don't think I don't think that's the work for every I don't think that's something that everybody needs to do. You know, I think that those kinds of conversations and that kind of work is something that people should do if they if they are going to be if up for it you know if they're going to be the safest under trump you know if you're not worried about defending your basic humanity or protecting your basic rights then um do something to help protect those who are worried about that right now who are in that in that vulnerable situation amy has there been any times over the last week where you felt supported or you felt community like are there are there people around there at the school or or times when you felt like oh this is where I feel safe or I feel good or I feel loved um that's a hard question for me because you know I just moved to Mississippi so I've only been here for a few months and I know that those resources are available to me I have a really great professor who I'm able to like lean on should I you know should I really need it um but this is something that I also want to emphasize is that like, yeah, I'm a woman of color. I'm a non-black woman of color in Mississippi. But like, to be completely frank, like I wouldn't feel any more safe if I were in California or Los Angeles where I was born because I've also read about like hate incidents there. I wouldn't feel any more safe in Portland, Oregon, like the bastion of white liberalism. I really wouldn't because like, you know, uh, there are, there's been like overt and very subtle microaggressions all over Portland, Oregon, you know, yeah, like, we've had hate and we've had hate crimes here this last week. Yeah. So yeah. this, this notion that there are like that red states are, are like any more unsafe than blue states. I think we have to like, we have to let go of that idea because then, um, then we won't be working on the things that need to be worked on, you know, like, like o Oregon is blue, but Oregon is blue in like this really <laughs> pin drop area the rest of the state is red and we yeah. have to recognize those things and you know like i have a professor his name's kese layman and he often talks about how we need to like reckon with you know with certain things before we can move on to do the work and i think that a lot of what's missing in um, neoliberalism or like white within white liberal communities is mm -hmm. this reckoning uh with themselves and i think that without the reckoning the work the work is superficial and the work doesn't work that that's why like that's why there needs to be that's why like 
there, there even needs to be very basic conversations within what, like white communities at large about why this even happened. You know, if if liberalism was real and it worked and we, you know, was effective, then this wouldn't have even uh, reached this point, I don't think. Yeah, that's that's a really good line that you need to do some reckoning before you can do the work. You know, we need to face the bigotry that's in ourselves and in our communities and in our families and uh, really think, really think and focus on that. And I think it's. I think for me, it's like, it seems like it's, it's too early to have solutions or to have like, all right, here's what I'm going to do to fix this. Like, no, (laughs) right now I'm just like, I'm just like trying to understand what happened and my role in that and what role I can play in the future, you know? You know what I I really, I really, really dislike Mm. seeing right now is that like people are writing these guides of like how to easily become an ally to marginalized communities. Like, first of all, like that headline fucks me up because how to easily like it's not easy. It's not easy work. If it was easy, this wouldn't be happening. And then like, you know, it's a guide to do this. And like the thing is that these guides are ineffective because if it was easily done in these very specific steps, um, then this wouldn't be an issue. And this also brings up the, um, you know, the, the safety pin campaign. Have you seen about, read about that? You know, this notion that like, um, white allies could wear a safety pin to, um, to sort of like imply or to show that their allies are safe people to go to in public should, um, any marginalized person feel unsafe. But I think that's one of the things about allyship that we need to think about is that like, like safety pin, you you don't get to like, um, you don't get to name yourself an ally. You know, you don't get to name yourself a safe space. Like you don't get to designate that. Like the people who theoretically you're an ally to, they're the ones who seek Mm. you out and can give you that title. And, um, and I think that like, like things like safety pins, like actually give the, the wearer, uh, that 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 power and makes them feel better without doing any real work. It's like such a, a, a lazy act. It's such a lazy act that like it's been co-opted by um, white supremacists. Like there have been KKK campaigns about like, hey, you, we sh- you should wear a safety pin in order to denote that like we oh, see wow. each other. Like if your if your act is so easily co-opted by white supremacists, like rethink what you're doing. You know, like like. I'm I'm already looking like side eye at every white person, mm. you know, and I, and, and I'm gonna look extra side eye at somebody wearing a safety pin now. Mm. And I think that like the work is hard, um, and it won't be easy. And I think that like to look for easy ways to fix this, it's not the solution. Have you been um, doing any self care over the past week? Have you found anything that's felt effective and good for? taking care of yourself and processing this sadness and anger? Um, I think one of my self-care methods is to, like, not think about this. I, it's like avoidance, you know? Like, I'm, I'm on my Twitter all day, and so I'm reading things like that, or I'm on my Facebook, so I do see um, stories that pop up or, like, little bits of, like, uh, guess guess what white, like, white nationalist Donald Trump wants to put uh, his yeah. cabinet. Or, Steve like, Bannon, yeah. Right. Or, like, uh, guess what plans... Um, Ben Carson has for the Depart- Department of Education, like to uh, to to flag like suspicious speech by professors and teachers and things like that. So I am seeing, I am like still following it in that way. But I mean, like in media consumptions, like this is this is my jam. Like when I'm when I'm not feeling good, I just want to watch basketball. So I'm just watching a lot of basketball, streaming it through my laptop. Um, 
but also like this I, I literally can't watch any video of Donald Trump. Yeah, like, I can't listen like, to his voice. Yeah, I, I don't want to see any clips with him, period. Like, um, it just makes my skin crawl and I just physically feel awful so i'm just avoiding it and i don't and i don't feel bad about avoiding it like as if i'm trying to tune out this real hard news because like my daily existence is is uh embodying the effects of this real hard news so like not having to see it i don't feel like bad as a as a you know as somebody who has to process this news to have Mm -hmm. to avoid it what are you (laughs) doing for (laughs) self-care you know i'm terrible at that (laughs) Um, you know, I've just been, I went to a big protest on Wednesday night, um, here in Portland. There was like 2000 people downtown. And the point of that protest wasn't to like get Donald Trump not to be elected president because it had already happened the day before. But the point was just to like share that anger and that rage with people. And, um, that felt, it felt good to just be in a crowd of people who were sad and upset and not hiding it that I think, you know, in our society, we really try and downplay emotions and be like, everything's going to be fine. Everything's fine. And so it was over the last week, people have really been expressing their anger and they've been crying in public. And that's felt really good to me to share. Um, at, At that protest, I wound up, I ran into like a friend who was hanging out with all these witches, like, (laughs) like a dozen witches um, outside of Portland City Hall and they had this moment where they like counted down from five, four, three, two, one and then everyone just screamed for as long as they wanted and everyone was just screaming as loud as they wanted for like two minutes or so and it felt like a really good release of that anger and that feeling and just to be there sharing that with people and saying hey, we're here together and uh, we're, we're going to fight this and we're here for each other. That felt good. Over the next few days, I didn't go to any more big protests. I didn't really feel like being around a bunch of people, but I've been hanging out with just groups of friends, just like small groups of friends um, and telling each other that we care for each other. You know, it's been, it's been a real outpouring of um, support and love and just wanting to let people know like, hey, there's some there's we just elected a white supremacist to the president it feels somehow important to tell my friends that i love them right now so that's what i've been doing this is so fucking exhausting Mm -hmm. and terrible uh and and i and i think that um last night i uh some of us students and faculty met at, at another professor's house and uh and you know, I had like an emotional <laughs> outburst <laughs> where uh, I had to do one of those things where like uh, I had to do, I call it like a white people thing where I had to kind of call out a professor and do the with all due respect, <laughs> you know, and which I've never that's done best, before in my that's life. That's the best and line like, okay, in the having... language, I think, with all due respect, because I love that it means right. the opposite of what you say. Yes. You know, and then I just went on this like emotional, very emotional rant about, um, all of my feelings and afterwards while I when I after I finished um one of my cohorts her name is Nadia she's a black woman poet um very calmly uh, made a really I think interesting point that I hadn't thought about is that you know if Hillary had been elected well we wouldn't be having these really fucking hard conversations that actually need to be had because 
Um, if, if like I like I said before, if Hillary had been elected, there would still be fifty six plus million people who had supported Trump, and we wouldn't be having these conversations because we would be thinking, well, everything's fine. Like we don't have anything at risk theoretically, even though Hillary was not the ideal candidate. Um, and I think that that's a point that I, I actually is helpful for me to remember because then that that makes me think that like maybe this was I mean, I hate saying this, but maybe this mm-hmm. was worth something. Maybe like this will have this will help like um, like Democrats or um, liberal folks to really think about like what it means to be liberal. Like what what, what do your values um, mean in this world and, and how we speak to one another and how we. Can yeah, we've never had a more pressing time to actually show up for each other and stand up for our values you know and i think i think you're totally right and your friend is totally right that if hillary clinton had had been elected these kind of conversations wouldn't be happening and we would write off those people those 56 million people who voted for trump and we would be like well you know what we're we're in a post-racial post-sexist era now we've had a black president and a female president so we're all good you know i think that this i think i think that this has really i think that this has forced progressive Americans to face the ugly, the ugly reality of American politics. You know, I think this has forced a lot of people to face who's in our country and what, what values a lot of people endorse. Um, And I think that that's, that's a conversation we should have been able to have without electing Donald Trump president, but his election has has really forced that conversation, I think. I think it's really um, uh, opened open the eyes of, like, for people to realize, like, um, like for us, this is an American nightmare, mm-hmm. you know? But for, but for some people, this is an American dream, like, yeah. coming to fruition. Um, this, is what, this is what they want their America to look like. And this is why, like, this makes me feel so fucking terrible. Because, like, I think stories like my family... Um, you know, like coming to America, raising children in a place where they didn't know the language, um, as working class people, like my my father is still a machine operator in a factory. My mo- my mother still works in a restaurant. You know, like, uh, and then they've r- raised three like theoretical successful <laughs> children. You hey, know, you're successful. All, you're successful. Very, <laughs> you know, we're all uh, economically um, stable. You know, uh, we we have those securities. Like, like theoretically, we are living this 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 other version of an American dream, right? But but for some people, th- this is not what they want for their country. They don't want uh, foreigners to come in and take their resources and to raise their families, um, and to have a good life. And I think that we need to really think about, um, w- like, first of all, who built this country and who did this and who did those people build this country for? And I think that's a really hard thing to think about because. You know, uh, it was like white men in powdered wigs and it turned into white men in suit and ties who, who built this country for other white people. You know, we need to really think about um, like what that means for all these communities of color, all these immigrant communities. Um, and, and in effect, like uh, connected to that, like uh, LGBTQ folks um, and other people who have intersectional identities who will also be like terribly affected by this. And I think that without really looking at it and just sort of like living in liberal bubbles um where we think it's just like rural poor 
poor white people who are feeling this. And we know that it's untrue from exit polling that like a vast majority of people who are earning incomes, I think of like $55,000 or more voted for him, white folks, you know? So we can't just think about this as like an, a, like an economic failure of poor white people, but that like it's actually about upholding white supremacy and we need to talk about it out loud um, in order to affect real change. <sighs> yep. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's really that's one of my self care methods is to sigh like all day <laughs> to just release it to my breath. <laughs> um, well, I wanted to end this show with some music. We don't have a like a new song we heard to recommend so much, but it has been um, cathartic and empowering for me to listen to a lot of protest music this past week. Um, and the song that I want to play to play us out is um, by the musician Leela Downs. Uh, she's Mexican American singer, and she wrote a, an anti-Trump protest anthem uh, that was released a couple weeks before the election. It's called El Demagogo. It's about um, Donald Trump being a racist demagogue. And I found myself singing along to this song a lot this week. So um, let's let's play it out. Amy, thank you for existing and for being <laughs> who you are. Oh, thank you for saying that. There's, really there's so it. many people who love you and, and support you and are better because you're in the world. Oh. <laughs> don't, I, I <laughs> really made it through this whole episode without crying, even though I really wanted to. I'm just... Like, you know what? You know what I really learned through this campaign is that my new mascara is not cry proof. That's really what I've learned. The <laughs> and Donald I just Trump, put it on. The Donald Trump era demands different mascara. That's action <laughs> item number one. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you, Amy. Um, and I'll see you again soon. Yeah. Thanks, Sarah. At the end. Thanks for listening to Backtalk. This podcast is hosted by Sarah Merck and Amy Lamb from Bitch Media. The show is produced by Alex Ward. Bitch Media is a reader and listener supported feminist nonprofit. If you want to support the show and our work, please head over to bitchmedia.org and donate. Our feminist response to pop culture is entirely funded by our community. Love our work and want to pitch in? Become a member. Join hundreds of fellow listeners as a member of the podcast Pollinators. And when you do, you'll receive a special mug, a subscription to Bitch Magazine in print and digital, a snazzy sticker, and Listen Bitch, a brand new monthly roundup of all of our podcast shows and music reviews straight to your inbox. Become a pollinator today at bitchmedia.org slash pollinators. No respect for woman, no respect for race, no respect for anything that lives the human race.